Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. So many questions, <laughs> so many big and important questions. Hey, it's wonderful to see you all again this morning and welcome to everyone joining us online. And uh, I have a question for you this morning. What would you consider to be worth fighting for? What in your life would be important enough to you that you'd be willing to risk maybe misunderstanding or rejection or some great personal cost? Is there anything that's so valuable to you that you'd be willing to stand up and defend it? I'm, I'm pretty sure that we all have things like that in our lives, things that we would be um, willing to stand up and defend at great cost to ourselves. And in this wonderful little but powerful letter called Galatians, the Apostle Paul tells us in no uncertain terms what it is that he is willing to fight for. And not only to fight for, but to live and die for. And it's this, this one thing, the gospel. The gospel. Now, today we are starting this brand new series in Galatians. And before we dive into it, I want to take a moment just to set the scene and explain some of the background to this little letter so that everything we say today and everything we say over the course of the next few weeks makes sense to you. So Paul the Apostle Uh, traveled to the Roman province of Galatia during his first missionary journey. And while he was there, he preached the gospel and he established a number of churches in that particular region. But after he left, a group of Jewish followers of Jesus, some itinerant teachers, most likely from Jerusalem, came up to the region of Galatia. And they began going around to these churches and telling these new Gentile, non-Jewish followers of Jesus, that if they really wanted to be right with God, they needed to become Jewish. They needed to be circumcised if they were male. They needed to follow all the Jewish feasts and festivals, and they needed to obey the law of Moses, which of course is like consistent with any religion. Any religion in the world is going to tell you, if you're going to be right with God or the gods or whatever deity it is you're worshiping, you're going to have to keep all these rules and regulations. But of course, this confused the Galatian believers. Because this is not what they had heard from Paul. Paul had taught them very clearly that if you were going to be right with God, all you need is faith, trust, confidence in the person of Jesus and what he has done as opposed to anything that we might be able to do. And so when he heard about their confusion, he wrote to them out of concern and out of love to set the record straight. And to give them the assurance that all they needed to do to be right with God and in relationship with God was to put their faith and their trust and their confidence in Jesus. And here in Galatians, we have Paul at his most passionate, right? Paul is super fired up in this letter because he understands how important this issue is. If you misunderstand the gospel, you will misunderstand everything about faith and following Jesus. So he writes with an incredible sense of urgency. So with all that in mind, and all of that as a backdrop, let's dive in and let's begin our journey in Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to read the first few verses together, verse 1 to 9. And this is from the New International Version. So you'll be able to follow along on screen. But if you want to open up your Bible or flick to this in your Bible app, Galatians 1, verse 1 to 9. This letter is from Paul. An apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ Himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. 
So notice here, Paul's appealing to the authority of Jesus and the authority of the Father and the collective authority and support of all those who are with him to establish and affirm his credibility. And he says, may the God or may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, the gospel you first heard from us, let them be under God's curse. Wow. All right, this is strong language from Paul. Right? You can tell that he feels deeply about this, and he wants to waste no time, so he doesn't beat around the bush. He dives straight in to a defense of the gospel that he first presented to the Galatian believers. And really, the whole letter is an elaboration an explanation of that defense. So this letter is really all about the gospel. It's about the importance of the gospel. It's about the true nature of the gospel. And it's about the need to proclaim and defend that gospel. Now, if you, like me, uh, grew up in Christian faith, if you grew up in a Christian home or if you've been around the church for a long time, you have certainly heard the term the gospel. And you might have some sense of what it actually means. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, or you're not a believer, and you're listening online, and you're just exploring Christianity, you may have heard that term before, but you may not necessarily know too much about what the gospel is, or what it means. But certainly, as a follower of Jesus who's been around church life for a long time, I was introduced to the gospel from a very young age, and, and have some sense of what it is. Now, the term gospel comes from a Greek word called euangelion. And the word angelion just literally means uh, proclamation, announcement, or message. And the little prefix eu means good. So good announcement, good message, good news. Like if I said to you today, hey, uh, in 2024, uh, Donald Trump is running for re-election. Some of you would think that is euangelion, good news. And some of you would think that is disangelion or bad news. And don't worry, I'm not going to get you to raise your hand to indicate which is the case, all right? So euangelion is good news. And it's ter the term that the New Testament writers used to refer to the story of Jesus. So when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the good news, we are talking about the story of all that God has done in and through the person of Jesus, right? Now, as I said, I grew up in a Christian home, surrounded by Christian friends and Christian family, and, and went to church from a very young age. And the church that I was a part of presented the gospel to us in a very particular way. And I'm willing to bet anything that if you have been around church long enough, you've probably heard the gospel presented something like this. And it's usually diagrammatically represented in a very simple way, like the image that you can see on screen behind me or on your screen right now as you watch from home. And it's fairly self-explanatory. On the one side, you have humanity, 
And on the other side, you have God. And we're separated by this enormous divide created by our sinfulness. And usually in this representation, sin is kind of meant to represent our, our um, broken rules, right? The fact that we violated the law of God and we haven't obeyed the commands of God. And we tell people if you've broken one of God's commands and you're guilty of breaking all his commands and because of that sin, you are separated from God, right? And the consequence of this sin ultimately is death and eternal separation from God and, and, and possibly even the, the torment of hell in the afterlife. But on the other side is the possibility of eternal life and relationship with the living God. And of course, in the middle between these two divides is the cross. And of course, the death of Jesus on the cross was to pay for our sin and to deal with the penalty of our sin and, and to ultimately bridge the divide so that you and I can be reunited with God so that we can avoid the fiery torment of hell in the afterlife and we can secure our own personal place in heaven in the afterlife. And, uh, and so this gets presented as the gospel. Now, the only problem with that, friends, is that is not the gospel. Now, you might be able to say that it is part of the gospel, but it's not the heart of the gospel. It's certainly not the whole gospel. It's not the full gospel and it's not even the most important part of the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's not true or that that's not relevant or that that's not appropriate. All of it is true. It is just incomplete. It's not the whole story. It's not the full story. It's not even the most important part of the story. And there are a dozen reasons why we cannot refer to that little representation as the gospel. For instance, there is no reference at all in that representation to the broader, wider, more global, more communal aspects of the sin problem in the world. Things like systematic and cultural and institutional injustice and inequity and evil and wickedness in the world. There's no reference to that at all. This particular representation of the gospel or this caricature of the gospel becomes a very narrow, very personalized, very individualized and very anthropocentric way of seeing God's redeeming work in the world. But of course we know that God's redeeming work in the world is so much bigger and broader and wider than just my own personal individual salvation or my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ or my own personal one-way ticket to heaven, right? But the most important reason why we cannot refer to this as the gospel, certainly not the gospel Paul preached or Peter or John or the apostles, is because it is missing the two most important elements that make the gospel the gospel. It's missing the two things without which there is simply no good news to proclaim. The two foundational, fundamental elements that make the gospel the true gospel and the whole gospel. And so the question then becomes, well, what then is the gospel? If you and I, as followers of Jesus, are mandated to go into this world and announce the good news, to proclaim the gospel to the world, the question we have to ask ourselves then is, what is the nature of that proclamation? What is the essential content of the message? What are we supposed to be announcing to the world as good news? And the answer to that question is, is scattered throughout the pages of the New Testament, right? There are pieces to that puzzle all throughout the pages of the New Testament. But there's one particular passage that I want to bring you to this morning that was written by the same Apostle Paul in a different letter written for the same purpose 
In other words, to explain the gospel. And that letter is Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 to 9. This is again the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's writing for the same purpose, to clarify the gospel. And listen to what he says. Reading from verse 8 of Romans chapter 10, he says, And this message is the message about faith that we preach. Here it is. Paul's saying, I'm going to give it to you as simply and as succinctly as I possibly can. This is the message we preach. If you declare openly that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you openly confess, acknowledge, declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here Paul is giving us the two foundational, fundamental, essential elements of the gospel that make the gospel the gospel. And the first, friends, is this, the truth that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's talking here about the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. Without the resurrection, there is no faith and there is no salvation and there is no hope. Right? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to a group of, again, young, new followers of Jesus, Gentiles who are not particularly Jewish, who are also being misled by some caricature of the gospel. Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verse 12 to 19, and listen to what he says. He says, but tell me this, right? Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, what do we preach? We preach Christ rose from the dead. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Friends, you notice that Paul says there that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, that his death on the cross was powerless, pointless, and meaningless. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from the cross. I am so deeply thankful to God for what happened at the cross of Calvary, for Jesus' willingness and humility to go to the cross, for, for the price that he paid, for the sacrifice that he made, for all that the cross represents and signifies. But do you see that Paul is saying here that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, that the cross was ineffective, that you are still trapped in your sin and your faith is useless, and the situation is hopeless. In other words, friends, Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no good news. There is no hope. You know, in just a few weeks' time, we're going to celebrate Easter together. And we're going to come together on Good Friday. And we're going to commemorate what happened that day on the cross. We're going to take a moment to reflect on it and to thank God for it. And, and to consider the full implication of what happened at the cross for you and for me. But Easter doesn't finish on Friday. We're going to come back two days later on Sunday. And we are going to celebrate this wonderful truth that Jesus rose from the grave. And that Jesus is alive. 
And you know why that is good news? It's good news because at one point, Jesus wasn't alive. At one point, Jesus was dead. He was as dead as a doornail. He went to the cross of Calvary. He was crucified brutally and violently by wicked men. And he was buried in a grave. And of course, all his friends and his followers and his family were overwhelmed with grief and with sorrow. They were completely blindsided by what happened. Nobody expected Jesus to die that way. But the Bible tells us that on the third day, as they journeyed down in the midst of their grief to the tomb, to anoint his body with spices and with oils and fragrances. When they got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away and the grave clothes that were wrapped around his body were folded and laid on the floor of the tomb and he was gone. And Jesus began to appear to his disciples from that moment on for a period of 40 days. And for 40 days, he met with them and he spoke with them and he encouraged them and he moved around Jerusalem. Over 500 people saw him before he finally gathered his disciples together to give them a final word of instruction before ascending to the Father. Friends, the good news is Jesus is alive. And this is such an important point. You have to see this. You have to understand this. These first followers of Jesus did not follow Jesus because they read about him in some holy book. They followed him because they saw him come back from the dead. They followed him because they saw Jesus rise from the grave. And they saw him because at the very heart of their conviction was this truth. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And you know why that's good news for you and for me? Because it means that the power of death has finally been broken. The stranglehold that death has had over humanity has finally been overcome. And so now, even though death still has the power to take us, death no longer has the power to keep us. Death has to release us. It has to give us up to the resurrection life that becomes ours through faith and trust in Jesus. So yes, death will take us as it took Jesus. But death can no longer hold us. It must give us up. It must release us. It must allow us to receive the resurrection life. And yes, you will die as Jesus died. But because he lives, you will live. There is life eternal. There is life abundant on the other side of the grave. Life lived in the presence of God. Life lived in relationship with God. Resurrection life. Friends, that is good news. And because death has been defeated and the power of death has been broken, you and I no longer need to live in the fear of death. That is good news. That is good news indeed. And so Paul tells us here, this is the first essential foundational element of the gospel. Jesus is alive. And then Paul, of course, tells us that the second foundational essential element of the gospel is this, that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. He says in Romans 10, verse 8 to 9, if you declare openly, publicly, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? Jesus on the Mount of Olives just before he ascended back to the Father, gathered his disciples. And you know what he said to them? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and announce this good news. What good news? Well, the good news that he's just delivered, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am now Lord of all lords and I am King of all kings. Earth has a new ruler. Earth has a new king. And the reason why that is good news, friends, is because that means that not only has the power of sin and death been broken, 
but evil and wickedness have their days numbered. No longer will evil and wickedness be allowed to rule and roam and reign freely on earth. Justice is coming. There is a day coming when Jesus will return to usher in his kingdom and to rule this world with righteousness, justice, fairness, and truth. And friends, Jesus is the leader everyone has been waiting for. Jesus is the leader everyone wishes would run for re-election. He is the leader everyone wants to be prime minister and president. You know why? Because Jesus is kind and merciful and gracious and truthful and honest and integrous and fair and compassionate and true and perfect in all his ways. Jesus is not like a Vladimir Putin who uses his power and uses violence to crush his enemies. Jesus is not that kind of ruler. Jesus is a loving, merciful, gracious, kind, generous, benevolent ruler. And you know what the good news is? You and I do not need to wait for the day that he returns before we submit to that leadership and submit to that lordship. He has invited us to bow our knees and our hearts and our lives and to come under his authority and to receive him as Lord and to fall in line behind him and to follow him, to follow his wisdom, to follow his teaching, to follow his way, to follow him. And to live out life here on planet earth as those submitted to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus. To live as a faith community, as people who know what it is to have Jesus as Lord. As a little foretaste of what's coming. As a little slice of heaven on earth. As a little bit of anticipation of what will be when Jesus comes back. We get to live that out now. Friends, that is good news. Because sin and death and evil and wickedness have their days numbered, and justice is coming. And friends, because Jesus is alive, and because Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. And this is the final thing that Paul says here in verse 9 of Romans 10. He says, if you declare openly that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Well, saved from the penalty of our sin. Saved from the consequence of humanity's rebellion against God. Saved from the, the, the power of sin's influence over your life through the ongoing, transforming, regenerating power of God's grace at work in your life by the Holy Spirit. You will be saved from your own self-destructive behaviors and your own self-defeating beliefs. Saved from the power of the enemy. Saved from the judgment that is about to fall on the wickedness and the evil in this world. Saved from an eternity without God. Friends, to be saved just means to be brought back into a right and restored relationship with God. And Paul says, because Jesus is alive and because Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. And if you are willing to publicly acknowledge that He is your Lord, and if you are holding this conviction in your heart that He is alive, you will be saved. You will be saved. Friends, it's kind of like, you know when you build a house? You've got to lay the foundations right first. If you get the foundations right and you get the foundations strong, then the house that you put on that foundation is going to stand strong. But if you get the foundations wrong and if there are any flaws or cracks or weaknesses in your foundation, then very soon those cracks are going to start showing in the superstructure, in the building above the ground. And it's like that with the gospel. If we get the foundation right of the gospel, then the message we preach is going to be sound and effective. 
And friends, at the very foundation of the gospel, at the very heart of the gospel, are these two essential, non-negotiable, irreducible truths. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord. And because He is alive, and because He is Lord, you and I can be saved. You see, Jesus couldn't be Lord if He wasn't alive. And Jesus wouldn't be Savior if He wasn't Lord. And so the fact that he lives and the fact that he, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him by God is good news. And I want to share one final scripture with you that we find at the very end of the Bible. This comes at the end of the story, right? This is in the very last book of the New Testament. This is Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. And I want to share this with you today because it sums up so beautifully what we're talking about this morning. This is the Apostle John writing. And he says, grace and peace to you. From the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the Spirit before His throne and from Jesus Christ. In other words, grace and peace to you from the Trinitarian God. Grace and peace to you from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, is the faithful witness, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the world. All glory to Him who loved us, and has saved us from our sins by shedding his blood for us and has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Friends, here the Bible is telling us that our resurrected Lord Jesus has done three things for us. He has loved us. He has saved us. And he has made us. He has loved us with an eternal, everlasting, unconditional, unrelenting love. And He has saved us from the power and penalty of sin. He has saved us from the wickedness and evil of this world and the judgment of God that is about to fall on that wickedness and that evil. He has saved us from an eternity without God. He has saved us from ourselves. He has saved us from the enemy of our souls, the devil. He has saved us. He has freed us and liberated us. And He has made us. Made us into a nation, a community, a family, a people who are called by His name. A people who have bowed their hearts and their knees and said, Lord Jesus, we recognize that You have the highest name in heaven and on earth. That all authority is Yours. And we submit and surrender our lives to You to your lordship, to your leadership. And because you are alive, because you are Lord, we are saved. How amazing is that? Friends, that is good news. And that is what the world needs to hear. See, friends, the gospel is not primarily a story about you. And it's not a story about me. The gospel is not a story about how I get saved and about how you get saved. The gospel is a story about Jesus and about how He becomes King. And yes, that has massive implications for our lives. And it does mean that we can be saved. But it is first and foremost a story about Jesus. And so over the course of the next few weeks, as we dive into this book of Galatians, we're going to explore from the life of Paul and from the life of these first followers of Jesus, what it means to live by faith in Jesus. 
What does it look like to put your, your confidence and your trust in His grace and His grace alone? What does it look like to know that you are saved on the basis of what He has done for you, not what you can do for Him? What is it like to live with confidence that your eternal destiny is secure in Him? What does it look like to live a Spirit-empowered, Spirit-energized life out of the overflow of a right and restored relationship with God? What does it look like to live out love in this world as we endeavor to live as the subjects of Jesus' kingdom and to represent Him well on earth? And friends, I reckon this series is going to be one of the most liberating, most eye-opening, most heart-transforming series we've done together in a long time. So don't miss a moment of it. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to pray. If you're joining online, take a moment to lean in with us as we come before our Heavenly Father and we pray together. God, we want to say today how thankful we are for Jesus. God, we're so grateful for all that you have done in and through your Son. God, we're thankful for His life, His ministry, His teaching, His example. We're so thankful for His humility and His obedience. Father, we're thankful that today we can gather together like there's so many of us who know the reality of His love and His grace personally and individually because we have been on the receiving end of it. And we want to say how grateful we are for that. And Father, our prayer today is simply this, that you would draw each and every one of us deeper into that grace. Draw us closer to you. For anyone sitting here today or perhaps listening online who has never experienced your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness, your generosity. For anyone who has never known what it is to experience the reality and the joy and the freedom of life lived in relationship with the Creator God. Father, our prayer today is that you would draw them, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would give them the assurance that you are for them, not against them, and that you have done everything through our resurrected Lord Jesus to make it possible for them to know you and to love you and to serve you. And Father, as we begin this journey together in this wonderful book, we pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see what it is you want us to see. Open our hearts to receive what it is you want us to receive. I pray that we will be deeply and profoundly and forever transformed by the truth of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in the precious, blessed, wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit the rocks dot church